Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning, Wildwood. Hey, it's great to be with you all today and uh, excited. I know that a number of you are connected to the University of Oklahoma. If you're connected to the university, either as a student or faculty or staff or something, just wave at us so we can see you. Uh, We know this is a big week as you're getting ready to to start the semester. And I just got to say, as a graduate of OU and also as a resident, longtime resident of Norman, I'm just so thankful for the University of Oklahoma because without it, many of us would not know each other. God has used that university to bring together a community of people, to to grow in so many ways, including spiritually. And so I'm thankful that the Lord has allowed us this opportunity to gather and to worship today. So thank you for being here with us. I'm looking forward to the year ahead. Well, we are looking at the book of Romans in chapter 12. And last week, we looked at the first couple of verses of chapter 12, and really made an observation about life. And that observation went like this, that healthy living really has a balance between three things, ready, aim, and fire. That if we are to live out our lives as God intended, we will be ready for the life He has called us to, and we will execute that life and firing in the right directions as we aim and are pointed according to His purpose. And what we saw is that the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, remind us that we are made ready in Christ, that God has done an incredible work in our lives through Jesus to make us ready for the life that he's called us to. And we understand that we are to respond to the work of God in our lives by doing something. But what are we to do? That's really what these messages are about from Romans 12 as we try to aim our lives pointed towards his purpose. Last week, we saw that we are to aim our lives around this idea of laying down our lives as a living sacrifice to him, being transformed in our minds, not conformed to this world. Uh, But today, we're going to continue that conversation by looking at chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Before we look at those verses, though, I want to just make an, uh, an observation about life and share a memory with you. It has to do with the show, The Price is Right. How many of you have watched The Price is Right at some point? Okay, many of you have watched The Price is Right. Now, this is the way The Price is Right is played, in case you're uh, unfamiliar with the show. Uh, Contestants show up in a studio audience. Some of them get called down to the front to contestants row, and then they try to earn their way through the show to win fabulous prizes. Now, the way that they make their way onto the stage is by winning the contestants row competition, where they would put an item on the stage and the contestants would have to guess the price of that item. And the one who came closest to the price of that item without going what? Going over, that one is the one who would get to go on stage and compete for the other fabulous prizes. So they would take a a washer and dryer and the contestants on contestants row would look at that washer and dryer and they would guess it costs 800 or 1,000 or 1,200 or 2,000 or whatever. But here's the thing, as the bids were coming in for those items, there were some shrewd contestants on that show who knew that they could not bid over and they would bid what? One dollar. You got. We couldn't all say John three sixteen together, but y'all know it's one dollar on Price is Right. I understand. I know how it is. I'm. I'm. I'm with you. It's nine forty five. Okay. So, 
they, they put, you put a, put a dollar bid because you know you're not going to go over and you would be able to possibly win. Now, I, I go through that whole illustration and share that story with you today um, because as we look at Romans chapter 12, as Paul begins to zoom in on what it means for us to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, as he zooms in on what it looks like for us to have our minds transformed by the Word of God and by the work of the Spirit. As he zooms in on that, he's going to make a comment that we are not to estimate our lives more highly than we should. As a matter of fact, he wants us to to make an estimate on our lives, but we are not to go over. And so as we look at Romans chapter 12 together today, my, my hope and prayer is that we get a proper estimation on our lives that we understand what God has called us to do and so that we can aim our lives in following him. So if you've got a Bible, take it and open up to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 3 to 8 today. Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. The Apostle Paul writes, and this is what he says. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now in these few verses, we see the Apostle Paul pointing out some things that we are to aim our lives as we point them towards his purpose. The first thing that we see is this, that we are to get the right measurement for our lives. We are to get the right measurement for our lives. Now, this is found in verse 3, but verse 3, really, to understand it, we need to look back at verses 1 and 2. And in the first couple of verses of Romans 12, we're called to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice before God. This is the reasonable response, the reasonable service based on who God is and all that He has done for us. And as we lay down our lives before him, there is a transformation that is needed of our minds. We talked last week about how the world in which we live, the age in which we live, has a current that wants to sweep us downstream away from godly thinking. And we have a need to have the the engine of the Spirit of God and the Word of God to transform us and move us back upstream towards the, the life that God has pointed us towards. So we, we see in the first couple of verses that this is what our lives are to be about. But one of the things I mentioned last week and is that when we think about our, the way that our minds are influenced by the world, one of the biggest ways that our mind is influenced by the world is it wants the world to be about us. Our minds repaint the world with us at the center, where we are the determining factor of what is right and what is wrong. Where, where we are the determining factor of what is fair and what is unfair. Where we are the determining factor for all of the major issues of our lives. See, we are selfish people. 
and, and we are tempted to be selfish. And this is not something that is new to the 21st century. This is something that is common to the human condition. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden that wanted to be at the center of making the decisions about the trees that they were allowed to eat from. It's continued through the Tower of Babel where they didn't spread out as the Lord had commanded, but they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves and they were going to build a tower. It's something that continued through the people of Israel as they wandered away from God throughout the Old Testament. It's something that has continued through the people of God today. As the disciples gathered around Jesus, they argued about who was better. Remember that conversation? And we've seen it transpire in the history of the church that we have experienced as well. It's something today, it's something from long ago, and it's, it's something that is even reflected 500 years ago when John Calvin wrote his Institutes. He talked about this aspect of our, of our struggle with what he called self-love. This is what he says. He says, For so blindly do we all rush in the direction of self-love that everyone thinks he has a good reason for exalting himself and despising all others in comparison. There is no other remedy than to pluck up by the roots those most noxious pests, self-love and love of victory. This the doctrine of Scripture does, for it teaches us to remember that the endowments which God has bestowed upon us are not our own, but his free gifts, and that those who plume themselves upon them betray their ingratitude. Friends, it's common to the human experience for us to to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. If we are to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, if we are to have our minds transformed, one of the things that will happen is that we will have a right measurement of ourselves. We'll have a right measurement, and we will not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. He says this in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, and he begins, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. He talks about the grace of God here. This is really what I think Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here is he says, I'm getting ready to tell you something that God has taught me by his grace. I'm getting ready to talk about something that I know something about. See, thinking highly of himself was an experience that Paul had that dominated his life, especially early on. Paul thought very highly of himself. Religiously speaking, Paul was at the top of the heap. But God broke him of that. God in Christ taught him of a correct measurement of himself. Uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. He says this, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, friends, Paul is talking about something that the grace of God has broken him of. If Michael Phelps were here today and he said, I'm going to give you a testimony of what it's like to live as an Olympic gold medal winner, you would lean in because there is no one on the planet who can more accurately talk about living as a gold medal winner than Michael Phelps. Well, friends, 
The Apostle Paul was the gold medal winner in religious pride. And so when he talks about what God has taught him in terms of not thinking of himself more highly than we should, we should lean in because it's a lesson that God has taught him well. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul knew, as Calvin knew, that we have a tendency to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We have a tendency, because of the current of this age, to place ourselves at the center and everything around us exists to serve us. That's true of our attitude many times towards our material possessions. It's true of our attitude towards other people in our lives, even those in our own family. We think of of everything existing for us. This is the, the current of this age. It's the temptation that we go through. And Paul writes and he says, I, I want you to, to stop overthinking yourself. I want you to stop having this estimate of yourself which has you better than other people. Friends, as we live here today, there are a number of ways in which humanity demonstrates our belief that we're better than somebody else. It happens through sexism, it happens through racism. It, it happens through just a grid, an understanding that if people aren't like us, they're somehow inferior in different ways. We, we, we have place or make ourselves the standard by which we judge all others around us. Um, that's the stuff on the inside of us, the current of this age, our fallenness and our sinfulness impacts the way we view others, where we, we tend to grade the world with us better than at least someone, if not many someones. When we view the world with us better than others, uh, we view the world according to this age. We do not view the world according to what God is doing for us in Christ. We are to have our minds transformed. We are to conceive of the world differently, and that begins with us having a right estimation of our lives. We cannot view ourselves at the center of the universe. In Christ, we must have a correct understanding of us. This is the idea when, when Paul says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but we're to think with sober judgment. That word sober judgment is the idea of having a correct measurement, a unified standard, an understanding that allows us to, to correctly view ourselves. Well, what is the standard that allows us to not think more highly of ourselves? Well, he answers that right after this. He said we are to have sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, God has provided a standard by which we can understand ourselves and those around us. He's provided a measurement. If we were to go right now uh, back to your place and were to, to work on some kind of construction project together. Um, by the way, you do not want me to help you with a construction project. Um, Zach is much better at that than I am. Uh, th- th- that's, that's not something that I'm very good at. But, but if we were to go and we were to do that, we would need some way to standardize our measurements, wouldn't we? I mean, for you to say, you know, hey, just cut me something about yay long. That's not helpful. We're, we're basing something off a measurement that we don't know what that is. If we were to correctly measure, we would, 
want to have some kind of a standard where we could pull this out and say, you know what, I want everybody to cut boards that are 24 inches long. This standard measurement allows us to understand and build something that is stable. When we think about what God has done for us in Christ, the measurement of faith, God has provided a standard by which we can understand ourselves and we can understand each other. See, if we were to think that we are more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, that means that we're comparing ourselves to somebody. We're comparing ourselves to others and we're saying we're better or worse than them. Well, that means nothing if we're just comparing two people with no other standardized measurement. You know, when I go out front and play basketball with my son's friends in the front yard, you know what? I'm tall. I'm tall. I'm playing center. I'm Duncan. I'm Shaq out there playing with them in the front yard. Um, why is that? I'm not tall. I'm 5'10", but they're four feet. You know, you're not bringing that weak stuff into my house. I mean, I'm, I'm defending the rim. But I play with people who are my age. I, I, can't, I can't play that way. Why? Because I might be tall compared to one, but I'm short compared to another. In order to, to objectively understand who we are, we have, to, we have to have a standard of measurement. And God has provided that for us, friends. He's provided it for us in Christ. You see, if we measure ourselves against the faith, this is some of what we find. We find that all of us are sinners, every single one of us. That's true of me. And that's true of you. There's a, a level field at the foot of the cross. My, my sins might look a little different than yours, but I've got them, and I know I've got them. Your sins might be a little different than mine, but you know you've got them, right? When we remember the, this measurement that we are sinners, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, then we understand that there is a level field. We are equal. Men, women, different races, different ethnicities, different languages, we're all there at the foot of the cross together. We're sinners. We're measured by the same standard. But not only are are we measured by that standard, which helps correct us from thinking that we're better than somebody else, we we also need to remember that the same measurement of, of faith lets us know that we are incredibly valuable. Sometimes in our in our thoughts of trying to not think of ourselves more than we should, we just want to bid a dollar. We think that we're absolutely worthless we don't want to go over, but the reality is God has done some amazing things for us. God has justified us. He's forgiven us in Christ. God has adopted us as his children. God has sent his Holy Spirit to reside within us. God loves us so much, he sent Jesus to die for us. God has equipped each of us in Christ with spiritual gifts so that we might be a blessing to others. Friends, as as we gather here today as the body of Christ, we need to measure ourselves by the the faith, the measure of the faith, because it prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, remembering that we're equal footing under the cross, all sinners, but it also reminds us that we are people of infinite value that Jesus came and died for and that he is equipped for ministry today so that when we gather with each other, we could have an expectation of blessing. You know, I... Had I celebrated a birthday this last week, and my, my wife and, and son gave me some birthday presents. And when we got together uh, for my birthday celebration, they brought these gifts. They were in little bags. And you know, when I saw those bags, I, I was excited. You know why? Because I like presents. Um, and I was excited. I, I had an expectation of what was inside there. I and mean, so I opened them to see what the gift was. 
When we have a, a correct understanding of ourselves, we, we not only not think more highly of ourselves, but we also have an expectation for others that God wants to bless us through them. This is an incredibly gifted group of people, empowered by the Spirit of God for our mutual edification and the building up of the body of Christ. What a gift. What a blessing. We're to have an accurate measurement of ourselves, friends. Not thinking more highly of ourselves, but also not thinking too little of what God wants to do through us. As a matter of fact, we might summarize it this way. Stop thinking of yourselves so much. If we are only thinking of ourselves, we are comparing ourselves to some previous version or future version of ourselves, or we're comparing ourselves to each other. The reality is we should have a standardized measurement of thinking of our lives, and that's the measurement of the faith. It allows us to not think more highly of ourselves, but to engage together in the work that God has called us to. The first thing we see is that we are to get the right measurement. But the second thing we see is this. We are to give the right service. We're to give the right service. Now, we see this in verses 4 to 8 as the Apostle Paul is describing uh, the unity and the diversity and the mutuality in our experience as Christians. As we gather here as believers in Christ, we are people that God has worked within and united together for a common purpose. Look at what it says in verse 4. He says, For as in one body, there's the unity, we're united in one body in Christ. He says, For as in one body we have many members, there's the diversity. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of the other. There is the mutuality. Jesus has united us, friends. He's united us, and he has given to us differing gifts. Now, why does he do it that way? I think Jesus has done it that way because he wants us to be together. If God gave Jeff Frederick all of the gifts, then it would be really amazing to be in the Frederick house, to be around him and to watch him, but Jeff could just go off on his own. He would have everything he needs. But you know what? Jeff is given some gifts, but not all of them. Mackenzie, Jeff's daughter, is given other gifts. But Mackenzie isn't given all of them. See, God has spread the gifts that he has given among us in the church so that we would need each other, so that we would come together. When you think about it, Jesus, when he existed on the earth, I believe, had all of the gifts. He was Jesus, right? He was lacking in nothing. Jesus could be merciful. He could lead. He could teach. He could exhort. He could be a prophet. He could do all of it. But what happens when Jesus ascends into heaven? What does he create behind him for those who have believed in his name? A body. One body, many parts. And together, with the gifts that God has scattered, we live into the purpose that God has placed upon us. We live that out together. And we do so in a way that is of mutual benefit. You know, when we think about uh, the, the picture of a body, and by the way, I, I think it's so wonderful that the Lord chose the body as the picture of the church. Isn't that great? 
Because whether you're in Norman, Oklahoma, or whether you're in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, that illustration makes sense. You know, my illustration about my height works only among you people. Um, there are places in the world that wouldn't understand some of, some of the little nuances of uh, me blocking a shot, okay? Um, that's fantasy. But, but in, in, in this respect, God has given an illustration in the body that works across cultures. Because we understand that our bodies have different parts, but they have a single effort working together for a mutual benefit. I have eyes and hands and feet. They're different parts, but working together, they, they benefit the body. My eyes don't just benefit my eyes. My eyes benefit the body. My hands don't just benefit my hands. My hands benefit the body. My feet don't just benefit my feet. My feet benefit the body. In the same way, Jesus has scattered his gifts across the church for mutual benefit. We are each members of one another. The gifts that God has scattered are designed for each other's benefit to the glory of God. That's why we gather. We gather because God has built the church in such a way that we need each other because that's the way that he ministers to us. That's the way he cares for us. That's the way we live out his mission on the earth. We do so as members of the body. And then in verse 6, he makes this transition and he begins to talk about the specific gifts, but don't miss the main point. The main point as he mentions these specific gifts is that we are to use the gift that God has given to us. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Don't miss that headline. The purpose of gifts is, is not for us to, to know that there's gifts out there. The, the purpose of, of gifts is for us to use them. The application of this message, friends, is for us to serve others because we have a belief that God has made us ready for that in Christ. And the gifts are different. Now, he walks in the latter part of verse 6 through verse 8, and he makes a, a list of these, these different gifts. He makes a, a list of these gifts. Now, when you see this list, you might go, where are the rest of them? Because if you've read your Bible, you've read your New Testament, you know that there are lists of spiritual gifts in other places. Uh, most notably in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, also in Ephesians chapter 4, there's lists of gifts in those sections. And when we see these lists of gifts, we, we, we kind of wonder, well, how come Romans 12 doesn't include all of them? How come there's some different ones here than, than in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And so I want to make just a few observations about this list of gifts in general that maybe can help us to understand a little bit about them. The first thing I want us to notice is since the lists don't match, I think that it's safe to say that we don't have a definitive list of gifts. I don't believe that, that Jesus as the scriptures came to us, that it was his prime intention for us to get a master list of every gift that he ever gives. I think that the, the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians, the list of gifts in Romans, the list of gifts in Ephesians 4, they're representative lists of gifts. I think that the, the general idea is that these are kind of the, the primary colors of gifts. Uh, that God can use. As a master artist, he can take a little bit of one gift and a little bit of another and mix it together and paint it on your soul so that others would be blessed. It's not that this is a definitive list, it's, it's a representative list. A, a second thing that I think that we see from this, this passage is that there's a, a section of spiritual gifts that are kind of missing from this list, and that is what we might call the sign gifts. 
you notice there's no mention here of speaking in tongues or of interpretation of, of tongues. There's no mention of miracle works and those kinds of things. Um, what, do we, what do we make of that? Well, there's much that could be said about that topic, but I, I want to just make the, the most conservative uh, conclusion we can make from this. And that is this, the fact that the, that gift was not mentioned in Paul's list in Romans chapter 12 is an indication that those signed gifts were not the dominant expression of spiritual gifts in the early church. The fact that it's mentioned in one church setting in Corinth and not in another church setting in Rome lets you know that it wasn't the universal early church practice that everybody was walking around speaking in tongues. If anybody's ever tried to teach you that everybody should speak in tongues or something like that, just go to Romans 12 and say, well, what about this? What about the fact that even when the gifts are mentioned here and tongues are not mentioned, but when the gifts are mentioned, it it says that all are given different gifts. Why would you make one? and lift it above the others. There's a number of hypotheses that scholars of Scripture have come up with to make sense of this. Uh, One of them that I think is interesting is this idea that in in Corinth, the the book of 1 Corinthians was written before the book of Romans, that maybe there was a, a foundational element to the gift of tongues that was present in the setting of Corinth, but by the time the book of Romans is written several years later, It was beginning to lose its prominent practice within the church. A little bit of an argument from silence with that, but it is interesting to see. We see here that the list of sign gifts are not mentioned. We see that the lists don't always match up. But one other thing that I think is, is on our minds as we read this is, how do I know which gift I have? That's a question that we've got as we look at this. How do I know which gift I have? And do I only have one gift? I mean, as a matter of fact, over in the book of First Peter in chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, as each has received a gift singular, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do I only have one gift? And if so, which one is it? And what if I am kind of feel like I'm a hybrid between mercy and leadership? Can I only be one? What if I feel like I don't know the difference between exhortation and teaching? Do I have to be one or the other? Do I have to know exactly what my gift is named in order for it to be valuable? Again, because of the, the comment that we are given a gift and because this, there's not a definitive list here, I think, again, what we see is a, a set of primary colors of gifts that are out here and that God can mix them together on our souls so that when God presents Jeff to the church, he does so with a certain gifting mixed together with some of these different components, and the same thing with McKinsey and the same thing with all of us. Friends, God has provided a gift to us for us to share with the church for the building up of the body. Well, what are the gifts that he mentions there? He mentions the gift of prophecy. I'll mention a few words about that because it's an interesting gift uh, for us. Prophecy we think of many times as speaking forth new truth. But there was another sense of prophecy that wasn't just speaking forth new truth, but it was calling people back to the truth that God had already revealed. Old Testament prophets had that role. I think that is somewhat what the the indication is here that, that Paul is getting at, is that calling people back to the standard that God has already revealed. The reason why I think that is because when you see what he says after this, he says, if you were to give the gift of prophecy, do so in proportion to the faith. 
The definite article is found there in the original language talking about the revealed faith that God has given. If we're to to speak and call people back, let's call them back not to something that we create that is new, but call them back to what God has already revealed in Christ. The gift of prophecy. There are other speaking gifts besides prophecy that he mentions, the gift of teaching, explaining God's truth so that others would learn. The gift of exhortation, coming alongside someone and helping them put into practice what they've heard. And not only those gifts, but there are gifts of service that are mentioned here. The general gift of of service mentioned in in verse 7, but also the gift of, of giving and the gift of leading and the gift of mercy. We are to take the gifts that that God has given to us, the mix of blessings that he has put inside of us, the empowerment that he has given us, and we are to use that in service to others. Now, when when I say that, you might be wondering, well, how do I know what my gifting is so that I might be able to, to utilize it for God's kingdom? You know, what's interesting is in all the passages that God gives us about spiritual gifts, he doesn't give us a spiritual gifts test. There's no scantron in here. Um, there's, there's no appendix after the book of Revelation with a divinely inspired test. Um, I think what that lets us know is that the way that we find out our gifts is by serving and seeing how God tends to use us. How are you employing the gifts that God has given to you? God wants to bless others through you. Are you using the gifts that he's given to you? Have you taken that step into service? Some of you are in serv- service right now. You're, you're volunteering. You're a small group leader. You're a Sunday school teacher for children's ministry. You're working in Awana. You're working in student ministry or college life. That's fantastic. But, but for others of you, if you're looking for a place to get connected and get involved, we would love to help you step into this because we believe as we look at you that the Spirit of God resides within you and he wants to do great things in and through you this year that you might the wrapping around you might reveal God's gift towards us. And if you would like to serve in an area, you could take a welcome card and put your name and information on it and just say, serve. And if you've got an idea of where you'd like to serve, put that down there and drop it off at our welcome center before you leave. And we would love to help connect you in serving because we believe this is what God has done for us. He has invited us to take a right measurement of ourselves and he's invited us to serve according to the design that he's placed for us. Now, I want to end, and we're going to sing a song as we end. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, but, but as they do that, I want to just share with you just one final thought. It was last year I saw a documentary about uh, an American athlete by the name of Floyd Mayweather. Do you all know who that is? He's a boxer. Um, his nickname is Money, Money Mayweather. Um, and maybe that's because he always delivers in competition, but it's also because of his extravagant life. And, and they were going around... Floyd Mayweather had three homes. Um, He had one in Miami, one in Las Vegas, one in Los Angeles. Each home has seven cars in the garage. The value of those cars is $15.3 million, Um, Money Mayweather. Now, they they asked him in the interview, um, do you drive these cars? And he said, no, no one drives these cars. But he has a different color in each city. Now, when we hear that, there's part of us that goes, what in the world? What a waste. $15.3 million of cars in a garage and none of them ever get driven. But see, here's the thing as we sit here today, friends. God has given us something far more valuable. And he wants us to drive it in service to others. As we gather here today, 
How will God use you in the coming year as a blessing in the lives? Father, thanks for the opportunity to be together today. And thank you for the power of your word. Um, I pray, Father, that you would work within us now and help us to respond in faith by laying down our lives before you in service to Jesus Christ, allowing him to use us to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand and sing with us.